0: Daniel. Well, my name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside. And uh, again, just a joy to welcome all of you here. Thank you um, to each and every one of you for getting up early and joining us at this service. And on behalf of those who are not going to be sitting out in the foyer at the next two services, they say thank you as well. So thank you very much for being here. Today is a day of joy. And, and, and my prayer all week has been that we can experience what it is to have our hope renewed, what, we, what it is to have our hope restored it's such an important thing because the fact is we live in a world that tends to drain our hope right just over the course of time hope tends to get eaten away at it it tends to get drained away it tends to get tends to get corroded and 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 just taken away from us I, I think about it right when we were younger right when we were younger we dared to dream when you're six or seven five six or seven I got three grandsons right boys five six or seven they think they can be anything The future is wide open, right? They they, they could be the president of the United States. They they could be a doctor. They could be a lawyer. They could be an astronaut. They could be the next LeBron James. They won't be, but they think they can be at this point. Or Matthew Stafford or Messi, right, the soccer player. They, they, They think that they can be something like that. They think that they can be a policeman or a fireman or, in Bennett's case, a ninja warrior. Right? I mean, they, they just dream and everything is wide open. The future is great. And there's something wonderful about that, right? I think that's part of the reason we have such joy with, with littler kids. It's because their, their hope is so deep. Their, their, their joy is so pure. They, they just feel like everything is wide open. But the, the problem is as we grow older, more and more we bump into this thing called reality. More and more we realize that there are limitations. By the time most of us are 16, we realize we're not going to be the next LeBron James or Matthew Stafford. We find out we might not even be good enough to make the high school team. And nobody on the high school team is good enough to make the college team. And, and, and we start to just kind of limit things. It's not that we become Eeyore, okay? It's, it's not that we become Eeyore and everything is pessimistic and everything is terrible and life is horrible. We just start to learn to do a really important thing. We learn to manage our expectations, Right, as we get older, we learn to manage our expectations. We learn to to kind of say, okay, I'm not gonna allow myself to get too high and and and, and I'm not gonna allow myself to get too low. And, and 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 so by twenty-five, we realize we're probably not gonna be that doctor, we're not gonna be that lawyer, we're not gonna do this. But there are still dreams. By fifty, again, life is still okay. It's good. But our goals become things like I just hope that there's money left before I die, that the kids don't have to pay bills. Uh, I, I just hope that, that I can stay faithful and true to the promises that I've made. We manage our expectations. We live in this world that, that tends to steal away our hope. And, 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 and so we learn over time. We say to ourselves, don't hope too much, right? Right? Don't get too high, because if you get too high, it hurts that much more when you crash. If you dare to dream big, then it hurts that much more when the dreams don't come true. If you dare to, if, if you dare to do that, then it's, it's a dangerous thing, right? We want to protect ourselves, and so we say, no, no, don't expect that much. Don't, don't hope too much. Don't dream too big. And, and like the good folks out in Minnesota, in Lake Wobegon, as Garrison Keillor talks about them, you know, most of us learn, we learn to reach for the small potatoes, Right, right. the people from Lake Wobegon, he says, they learn. You don't get the big potatoes. Those are for the people from the big city. Those are for somebody else. But people like us, normal people, we just we reach for the small potatoes. We, we settle for good enough. We settle for what's there because we've learned to manage our expectations. We've learned not to let our hopes get too big, not to let them get too high. And it drains on us. It drains on us. The women, the three women, Mary, Mary, and Salome, the three women who were going to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning, I think they had they had learned this lesson. In fact, I want to suggest that they had learned it twice. All of them were a little bit older, okay? All of them had been through life, and life for none of them had been easy. It, it, it had been tough, and so early on they learned to manage their expectations. Early on they learned not to hope too much. They learned that life was pretty tough. It wasn't too long before they realized that... Uh, they weren't going to marry the prince. They weren't going to become the queen. They weren't going to rule the world. They knew that, and they had learned to just expect very little. They had learned to just, to just kind of keep everything down on the down low and, and, and protect themselves and so on. But then along came Jesus. I mean, imagine that, you're, you're nobody, you're nothing, and along comes Jesus, and he loves you, and he talks to you, and he looks you in the eye the way nobody else had, had, had looked you in the eye, and, and these women, they, they began to dare to hope again, they began to dream a little bit, they began to wonder if maybe indeed life could be different than it had been, if it wasn't just a, a, a struggle after a struggle after a struggle, but if maybe life could actually be a community of people who love each other, imperfect certainly, but a community of people who care for each other. I mean, led by Jesus, all sorts of things became possible, the way he taught, the way he talked about God, as if he like, knew him personally, the way, the way that he could do miracles. I mean, with somebody like this, then, then again, the, the possibilities become wide open, the, the possibilities start to just expand, and you can imagine them starting to let themselves hope again. Starting to let themselves dream again. Starting to let themselves think that maybe, just maybe, it's going to be all right. And then it all fell apart, right? That Thursday night when Jesus was arrested... Uh, one of the disciples, I, I assume this is what happened. We're not told this, but it makes sense to me. But one of the disciples had, had, must have run to the women. There were female followers of Jesus as well. They weren't with Jesus in the garden when he was arrested, but they must have run to the women and said, They took him. They came soldiers and they took him. And I would imagine maybe it was at the, the place of the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, where they caught up with Jesus. And these women followed step by step after a sleepless night, step by step, as Jesus was bounced from the Sanhedrin to Pilate and to Herod and back to Pilate. And they watched as he was beaten and they listened to his cries. I mean, hear those cries of agony. They they watched as he was carried out and crucified. And they watched as their hope was crushed. They watched as they took him down from the Cross and put him in a tomb. They were Matthew tells us just a little ways away, watching as they did this. And they watched as their lives died as well. And they, again, you've had that feeling. We've all had that feeling of saying, "Doggone it, we got fooled again." Doggone it, we thought maybe it could be different. We thought maybe. Maybe, just maybe, this was the one. Maybe, just maybe, this world could let something good live. Maybe, just maybe, things could get better. But no, everything good dies young, right? Everything good just gets taken away. Everything good gets crushed. And in the end, we all lose. And it's all tears. And it's all sadness. And again, they didn't necessarily go to everything is worthless and let's just jump off a cliff. But they said, you know, that's the fools we are. For forgetting to manage our expectations. That was Friday night that Jesus was put in the tomb. Saturday was their Sabbath, their day of rest. They didn't do anything. Now it's early Sunday morning, okay? And they want to just say goodbye. They want to say goodbye to their hopes. They want to say goodbye to Jesus. And they want to say goodbye to their dreams. Their expectations are back in place, right? Right? Their hopes are back under control. Their dreams are back to being small. The best we can do is at least give them one more hug. If you've lost a loved one, you know what that desire is like to just one more time want to hold that body to just one more time. Say that would be the best we can do. And 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 so they go on their way, but they know that they wouldn't let their hopes get too high again. They didn't have spices to anoint the body. So they actually, the first thing they had to do on Monday morning, they had to go to the store. They had to go to the market and they had to buy the spices. This is what Mark says happened. Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices. They went out and the first thing they had to do, again, they hadn't anticipated a death. They hadn't anticipated needing this. And then it was Friday night late and Sabbath day and nothing was open. And so they went out and they bought these spices so that they might go to anoint. Jesus' body. Uh, just again, to give you a picture of this, some of you may uh, have seen this, but again, in our day, we put bodies in the ground and cover them with dirt, right? In, in their day, they put them in a cave. The, the, the tomb actually had kind of two parts. Let me show you this. It had two parts. There was uh, this part here and, and, and that kind of long slab. And what they would do is that's where you would initially lay a body, Okay, you'd lay the body there, you'd anoint it with with spices, and you'd wrap it in a cloth. And it would lay there until it was just down to uh, just bones, okay? And when the bones, it was just down to bones, you'd put them in an ossuary, a box, and then you'd put the box there, and you could put several generations, right, a family into the same box. And so that's what they would do. And so the women came to anoint Jesus' body. Interesting thing to recognize, and and this is not guaranteed, but it's probable, that the spices that they were going to bring and anoint Jesus' body with were not to preserve his body, but to make sure that his body decayed. Because that was a tomb you'd have to use again. And, 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 and so they wanted to make sure that they were ready for the next one. Because at the end, death wins. At the end, tombs are always busy. At the end, we always need more spaces to put dead bodies. And so they went to anoint the body. They did this early in the morning, verse 2. Very early in the, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. They asked each other, had a question. All of a sudden, imagine these three women, it's, it's early in the morning, they're walking along, and all of a sudden one of them says, just a second, who will roll the stone away? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? If we're going to get to the body, who's going to roll the stone away? Again, it was a, a very good question, okay? And that, that day, the, the front of the tomb would be covered by a, a round stone like this, okay? And it was not small. It was not something just anybody could lift. It was about four to six feet in diameter. This is not the tomb of Jesus. It's away from Jerusalem. So. But, but this is what, what it might well have been like, okay? That stone was almost as tall as me. This is a place I've actually been to here. And, and it was almost as tall as me, a little bit shorter. And it was about a foot thick, okay? It's about a foot thick, weighing somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 pounds. And, and it would be on a track, and the lowest place in this one, the lowest place in the track would be in the middle, so that, so that you couldn't just move it, so that the bodies would be protected. But you had to be able to. And so if you needed to open it, you'd bring five, six guys. And they could push it away. It was a good question and, and, and it's interesting because they don't stop and say, We gotta go get the disciples. I, I almost think, why didn't they just say, Well, we're stuck? But I think it was not just a good question, it was a it was a low expectation question. I, I, this kind of to me, this this question is not sort of a oh my goodness, it's it's who's gonna do that? One more thing that's gonna go wrong. And 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 they don't stop. I don't know if they were thinking somebody else might or whatever. Maybe uh, people figured that that it would have to be open, but they don't stop. They continue to go on. Uh, Again, they're not looking for anything exciting. They're not looking for anything daring or new or hopeful. The worst thing is that they can't get at the body. The most they can hope for is that the gardener was there, somebody was there. Somebody knew that they had more work to do on the body, and they rolled away the stone. And, And sure enough, Mark says that's what happened. When they looked up, they saw that the large, the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. I don't think that mattered much to them. I think, again, they just figured, look, if, this, if, if somebody else had done it, somebody must have figured out we need to come. They knew that we didn't finish preparing the body and so on. And, and so somebody must have thought about that. And if it hadn't been that way, we could have gone and got somebody else and we could have rolled away the stone. This was not necessarily a big deal. They did not see this happen. Mark doesn't give us any indication that they said, oh, no, the stone is rolled away. Somebody took his body. Oh, no, the stone is rolled away. He's risen from the dead. No, this was just, oh, somebody must have helped us. The only thing that's gone right in three days. We can at least get at the body. But this is where things get a little weird (laughs) and really good. Because as they entered the tomb... They saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. You don't generally go into tombs and find people sitting there, and especially dressed in white robes. And and Mark is kind of a master of understatement, and at this point, we need to understand, this is an angel. Again, it's early in the morning, it's dark. If they could tell this robe was white, it was because it was glowing, okay? It was glowing, it was bright, and this is where they start to get a little bit scared. This is when they start to get alarmed. Now the women are nervous. Now they're wondering what's happening. Now they're thinking, did somebody take his body? What's this guy doing in here? Why is he talking to us? What's going on here? Why is he looking at us in this way? And, 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 and this angel speaks. Don't be alarmed, he said. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene from Nazareth. Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. And I imagine the women just standing there kind of going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's who we're looking for. And then the three words that changed everything. Even though they didn't get it right away, the three words that are at the center of human history, and I, I wish that we could have heard how he said it, because there's a part of me that wonders if he didn't just kind of say, um, don't, don't go crazy, but he is risen. I don't think so. I think he just went full bore. He has risen. He has risen. You see, the angels wanted this more, or just as much rather as you and I. The angels wanted this to see God's creation made new. And the angels knew what was going on here. And, and, and so they, the, the angel just says, he is risen. He is not here. Come, see the place where he was laying. And, and he makes this amazing announcement. And the women didn't know what to do. The women didn't know. I mean, you wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't know what to do. All of a sudden you're there and there's this amazing announcement that he has risen. And, and I think, you know, the fundamental question that, that they asked and that we have to ask this morning is this. Will they dare to believe? I mean, come on, it's just like, I, 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 I can't wrap my eye, armor or my mind around this. He risen from the dead. What does that mean? What does that sound like? What does that matter to me? Can that really be... And do I dare to believe again? I mean, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? Now, this is the third time. And will they dare to believe? And, and, and that, friends, I think is the question for each and every one of us this morning. In a broken world, in, in a world where there is just, I mean, let's be honest about it. At one level, in a world where there's just not that great evidence that everything's going to turn out well. In a world where all the evidence points to in the end everything falls apart, in the end everything dies. In a world where things are so broken, will we dare to believe this morning? Will we dare to believe that it's all going to be made new? Friends, that is that is the hope that we need to have. I think Matthew or Mark rather wants us to, to reflect on and, and to dare to believe three things, okay? Three things that you and I need to dare to believe this morning that Easter makes all the difference on. First of all, will will we dare to believe? That that death doesn't win. Will we really dare to believe it? Again, and and there's a part of me that says, I know you all, you're here at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. You say, yes, I do believe that. But understand it and really grasp it and really dare to believe it that death doesn't win. You see, because death is the ultimate enemy. Death is the final enemy. Death is an enemy that is strong and powerful and it is always there. And at the end of the day, friends, death always wins. From a human perspective, death always wins. Everything falls apart. You're going to die unless Jesus Christ comes back again. I'm going to die unless Jesus Christ comes back again. They are going to put my body in a box or my ashes spread out somewhere. But the fact is, death wins. No matter how much money we have, death wins. No matter how well we take care of our bodies, death wins. No matter what we do, there are so many enemies that can be defeated. Some of us are old enough to remember things like polio, right? And, and how polio, if it struck you, it was like a death sentence. We don't worry about it today, right? Because we defeated that enemy. And, and I believe that if Jesus doesn't come back before too long, I believe someday cancer will be one of those things that we'll remember and say, Wow, do you remember what that was like? Do you remember when that was a death sentence? Do you remember when they're... And now we just take this pill, or now we just do this, or whatever. There are a lot of enemies we can overcome. But at the end of the day, death always wins. At the end of the day, that loved one we say goodbye to. Even Lazarus, right? The people Jesus raised from the dead. Think of Lazarus. He came back from the dead, but he died again. They put him back in the tomb. The little girl that Jesus raised from the dead, she's not walking around today. You see, death always wins. Uh, my brother-in-law, who is, uh, I love him dearly, but, but it, it just can't grasp the idea of God. And he says, come on, at the end of the day, the earth is going to get too close to the sun, and it all burns up. That's, that's it. Friends, death wins, he says. Death always wins. But the Easter claim, the Easter claim is that Jesus conquered Death. The Easter claim is is that death is no longer the stronger. The Easter claim is that those tombs no longer have an iron lock, that that there's no longer no way out, only one way in and no way out. No, Jesus Christ broke the power of death. And what we dare to believe if we believe in Jesus Christ, what I invite you to dare to believe to now, is that every one of those loved ones, those grandparents, those parents, those friends, those spouses, those children, those grandchildren, every one of those loved ones that we have placed in the ground or that we have scattered their ashes, every one of them is going to pop out of that grave. And death will not hold them. But Jesus Christ has broken the power of death. He has risen. He is not here. Come and see the place where he is alive. And we can dare to stand. We can dare to stand at those gravesides and say, you don't win. None of the Askems are here at this service. I will never forget standing there and watching Tara, a 21-year-old member of this congregation who was killed recently. We stayed while they lowered that all the way down to the ground, and they put that cover. And I thought, God, it's either true or it ain't. This is either the end, and it's tragic, or this is the beginning of a new life someday. Will you dare to believe it? Will you dare to believe it the evidence in a sense points all the other way the evidence points to saying no people aren't popping out of those graves but will we dare to believe that jesus christ that jesus christ crashed through death and opened up a door that one day all things will be changed will we dare to believe that second will we dare to believe that jesus is with us now you see the claim of easter is not just that Jesus is alive and back up in heaven, but that Jesus is alive, that he meets with us, and then he gives us his Holy Spirit. And that Jesus goes with us no matter what's going on. In the midst of all of our struggles, we are not our own. In the midst of all of our struggles, we are not on our own. We are not facing life on our own. But Jesus Christ is alive, and Jesus Christ is with us, and he walks with us, and he talks with us, and he encourages us by the power of his Spirit, and he strengthens us. And no matter what you go through, you are not alone. Mark talks about this in verse 7. The angel goes on. But go, he says. Go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. It's not just that he beat death. He wants to be with you, okay? There you will see him, just as he told you. And, and, and the promise there is that Jesus is with us. And one of the things Jesus is going to say to his disciples before he ascends into heaven is, I'm going to be with you always. To the very end of the earth. I will be with you always. God never lets us go. He does not promise to get us out of everything, but he promises to go through everything with us. And even when we feel like he's not there, he is holding us in ways that we cannot imagine. And he will never let us go, and nothing can take us out of his hands. Will you dare to believe that? Will you dare to believe that you're not alone? Will you dare to believe that someone understands? Will you dare to believe that Jesus Christ is alive in you? Even though you've failed. Even though you're going to fail again. For some of us, we say, well, yeah, I understand Jesus rose from the dead, but he can't do that for me, and he can't walk with me because I've blown it. Peter, excuse me, Mark wants us to know, that, that, that this comes to us even when we fail. Something really interesting in, in verse 7 there. Um, George just pointed this out and I, and I learned it. But, but go tell his disciples and Peter. That's kind of crazy. Peter is a disciple. Well, why does the angel say, go tell his disciples and Peter? Why? Well, I mean, it's like saying, go tell the staff at Hillside and Ron. No, no. no. if you're telling the staff, you're telling Ron. If you're telling the disciples, you're telling Peter. Why does he do that? Why does the angel say, tell Peter especially. Make sure Peter hears this. Make sure he knows that this message is for him. It was because Peter had been one who denied Jesus three times. It was because Peter was the one who probably felt the worst about it all. Peter was the one who said, he cannot want to be with me. I had said I would be there for him, and I wasn't, and I failed. And I'm sure that even if he comes back, he won't want to be with me. No, go tell Peter. Tell Ron, tell George and Eunice, tell them that even though they've blown it, I still want to be with them. Tell them that even though they've failed. I I mean, I just think about it, and I look back, and I think about the failures of my life, and there are multiple. You can say, well, Ron, come on. you've had Man, some of the dumb things I've done, some of the wrong things I've done. And I think, Jesus, how can you use me? No, go tell the disciples and Ron, go tell them to go to Galilee. Go tell them to go back to where it all began. Galilee's up in the north. Jerusalem's in the south. He says, we're going to meet you at the beginning. We're going to start all over. And we can dare to believe that no matter what we've done, no matter how much we've failed, no matter how much we will fail, Jesus says, you know what? I want to be with you. And I want to hold you. And I want to take care of you will we dare to believe that death doesn't win? Will we dare to believe that Jesus is with us now? And then again, the third, will we dare to believe that this is just the beginning? Will we dare to believe that one day everything will be made new? Everything will be the way it is supposed to be. In a sense, managing our expectations, even as a Christian is smart in this world, I, I, I want to suggest that. mean, you know, you know, It's not to say, well, as Christians, we just are so people of hope that we're always giddy. No, we're, we manage our expectations. I don't, I don't put a lot of faith in all of you. I hope you don't put too much faith in me. I don't expect people to come through all the time, but I do expect from God to make all things new. And there I can let myself dream. There I can let myself go. There I can let myself hope. I mean, things are not the way it's supposed to be. In the last three months, I, I think we've had a string of funerals more than any three-month period we had in 28 years. We said goodbye to older and younger, and we're facing some illnesses, and there are more babies to be born that we celebrate, but there are also some of us who are looking at death in the face. It's not the way it's supposed to be. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. I myself am not the way I'm supposed to be. I'm not the kind of person I should be. But what I dare to believe, the Easter claim is this, that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and one day he's going to make all things new. One day it's all going to be right and there's going to be no more death and no more tears and no more sadness and no more depression and no more pain and none of that. And we're all going to love each other and treat each other decently. I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to be the right person and, I, and it's going to be just so good. Because you see, Jesus is the first fruits. The Bible says, "This is the time of the year where I don't know how they do Easter in places where the seasons don't change, but around here, right? At least at our house, the, the daffodils are up. The daffodils are up. Uh, the grandkids cut them off and brought them in as flowers to everybody last week, <laughs> and we were wearing them in our hair. Uh, but the daffodils are up, and and one of the things that a daffodil is is, is a, it's a first fruit, right? It's a promise." The tulips are coming and the apples are coming and the corn is coming and the beans are coming and all these things are coming. This is just the beginning. And and what the Bible teaches us is is that in Jesus Christ, what we see in his resurrection is just the beginning and all things are going to be made new and all things are going to be made right and one day it's going to be perfect. And the question is, will we dare to believe that? Not that today is going to be perfect, but that one day all things are going to be perfect, but that Jesus Christ is with me today, and that death has been defeated. The fact is, it's not easy to dare to believe that. Mark closes off this story in, in verse 8, and I was thinking if, if this was Ron 16, verse 8, w- what I'd want to do in order to make the sermon end well <laughs> is I'd say, and the women jumped for joy, and everything, everybody lived happily ever after. And they never doubted again, and their lives were perfect. So put your faith in Jesus. <laughs> that's not what Mark writes, because that's not what happened. I mean, these women hear the world-changing news. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And they don't know what to do with it. Look at what Mark says. "'Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. "'They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid.'" Friends, in a world where all the evidence points the other way, to dare to believe, to dare to have hope is not easy. Now, we know from other stories that they come to believe. They do dare to believe in good times and in bad times. They dare to believe that death doesn't win. They dare to believe that Jesus Christ is with them, that the Holy Spirit is walking with them. They dare to believe that one day all things will be made new. It wasn't easy, but they dared to believe. And that's why, again, for us this morning, the question is, will we? Can you this morning, can you just this morning once again say, okay, God, I'm going to just open up my heart and, 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 and give me that hope. I will dare to believe that all things are going to be new. I will dare to believe that you're with me today in the midst of it, and I will dare to believe that death is defeated. I will dare to believe. And this doesn't mean, like I say, that we live kind of on this emotional high all the time. Our expectations of this world are still realistic. But we live with an assurance That he is risen. We live with the assurance. That everything is different. We know he is risen. And we can dare to live. With great hope. I have friends who thinks. I'm a fool for this. Again. My brother-in-law. If you're watching Brad. Thanks. (laughs) He, He likes me. He doesn't quite know how to treat me as a pastor he doesn't believe any of this so what he kind of thinks is is, I'm a nice guy who helps all of you pretend something is true so that life isn't as miserable as it is if we're honest honestly that's what it is we can't face the emptiness of, of there being no hope so in his view my job is to help you pretend I don't think that's right Friends, I dare to believe it. With all of my heart, I dare to believe that that tomb is empty. With all of my heart, I dare to believe. I dare to believe in the midst of tears, in the midst of crying, in the midst of struggles and pain, I dare to believe that this world is not all there is, but that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and all things will be made new. May you have that hope in God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, It's just, we keep getting hit with things. We feel like we get on our feet and then we find out somebody else is sick and we wonder what it is. We find out, we feel like we, we find our legs again, but then somebody dies. We feel like we get it together and we hear about a divorce. We feel like we got it together and then depression just overwhelms us. Father, remind us right now that even though we live in a broken world, you never let us go. You are holding on to us and, and someday all things will be made new. Give us hope. Not just a a, a nice pretend, but that deep assurance that in the midst of the brokenness of this world, Jesus Christ is alive and all things will be made new. We pray this in his name. Amen.